Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. I'm so, so glad that you are here. I was reminded this week of how much I love to do this, to worship with you, uh, to be a part of what God is doing here. And I just, of how much I love you guys. So thanks, welcome. Those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online, welcome. All right, this is our third week of our four-week series that we are calling simply, This Is My Church. This is my church. You know, every year I get together with uh, some of the other leaders of our staff and we talk about where God has had us, uh, where he has us now, and where he might be leading us to go. And out of that discussion, there emerges a theme for the year. And I've been excited ever since this theme emerged because I think it can be so good for so many of you. Because I think uh, in a church this size, it's easy to have like one foot in, one foot out, to never really go all the way in. It's like the door has opened a crack and you can see some of what's going in, you can hear some of what's happening, but you've never gone all the way in because you don't know what will happen. Uh, Last week, we looked at a passage in Ephesians where Paul the Apostle uh, seems to connect You being the person that God wants you to be. Me being the person God wants me to be. You being the best version of yourself a year from now or five years from now is connected to you being a part of what Paul calls the body of Christ, which is the church. And because you're here, that means this church. So we're praying, I'm praying that for many of you, this would be the year where you go all in and say, this is my church. All right, last week we also talked about the the power and cohesiveness of the Bible. The Bible isn't a collection of moral lessons or stories. It is one story with one hero, and that hero is Jesus. The Bible is actually a story about what is wrong, what has gone wrong with the human race, what God has done to actually address that and then how it all works out in the end. And if you were going to take the entire message of the Bible and boil it down to a single word, it would be hard to find a better word than the word gospel. The verse we just had read to us comes from the book of Romans, the first chapter of Romans. In the first 17 verses of the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle uses the word gospel more times than he does the whole rest of the book. Let me read the verse again, and then I'm going to tell you the three points that I want to talk about this morning. This is what it says. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. All right, here are my three points. If you are a note taker, if you just want to know where I'm going, I want to talk about what exactly is the gospel and what does it do? Why is the gospel for everyone and why does everyone need it? And then how do people get the gospel and what part do we play? All right, 
What exactly is the gospel and what does it do? Why is the gospel for everyone and why do they need it? And then how do people get the gospel and what part do we play? First, what exactly is the gospel? Uh, the word gospel comes from the Greek word uagalion. Now, that means, the, the word uagalion means good news. Uh, there is a root word to that, agalos, where we get the word angel, which means a messenger. Because in the first century, that was the only way you got news, was through a messenger. Right? There was no social media, no phones, no television. If you were going to get news, you got it from someone bringing you that news, right? a messenger. The essence of Christianity is that Christianity is based on good news, not good advice. Don't miss this. If you miss this, you miss everything. If you get this, it has the power to actually change everything about you. The essence of Christianity is good news, not good advice. The difference between good news and good advice is that good news just tells you what's already happened. Good advice is something you need to do in order to make something happen. Here's the difference. If you were living in the first century in the ancient world and you were living in a city and an enemy was attacking the city and you sent soldiers out for battle, you would stay in the city waiting for the news to come. And finally, a runner would come from the battle. And if the runner came into the city and said, Oagaleon, good news, he would say, the enemy has been routed. The enemy has been defeated. Rejoice, all is well. That's news. If that messenger comes in and doesn't say Oagaleon, but says instead, the enemy has broken through, Bar the gates, arm yourselves, be prepared. That's good advice. Right? There's a difference. Every other religion in the world, every other philosophy in the world is based on good advice. The four noble truths, the five pillars of faith, the eightfold path, all those things are advice, things you must do. Only Christianity says this, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good news is something that happens outside of you, that is momentous. It's a battle that has been fought for you. So the question is, what is the battle that has been fought for you? What is the news that is so good that it can change everything about you? Paul begins to talk about that in the very next verse. He says in verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul will go on to talk about how what Jesus does for us actually changes the way God sees us. The theological word is justified. I love that word. Because if you and I were talking, and we were having a spirited conversation, and you made a statement, and I went, hmm, wait a minute, stop. Justify that statement. What I'd be saying is don't, I'm not saying change that statement. What I'm saying is you have to change the way I think about that statement. You have to change my regard for that statement. Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection actually changes the way God looks at you, the way God regards you. And Jesus does it in two different ways, and both ways are absolutely breathtaking. 
The first way that, God, that Jesus changes the way God sees you is that Jesus provides for the forgiveness of your sins. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Later on, John will say that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means the payment for our sins, which is why he says that God is faithful and just to forgive us, not faithful and merciful, that it's just for God to forgive our sins. If Jesus paid for your sins, it would be unjust for God to make you pay for them as well. Okay, I want you to imagine a messenger, a herald, going into the deep recesses of your soul and shouting good news. You are forgiven. Of everything that you have ever done to hurt other people, everything you have ever done that disobeyed God, you are forgiven. And all the guilt and the shame that is accumulated, that is stuck to your soul, is being washed away and you are cleansed. Good news. That's the first part. Absolutely amazing. But Jesus does something else. Because if all Jesus did, and it would be incredible if all Jesus did was forgive me, what I would feel like is that God's regard for me would be changing all the time. Like I'd be completely clean, and then I would go and do something where I disobey God, and I'd be dirty again, then I'd have to be cleaned again, and then I'd be dirty again. I'd be like a, a hotel room, being cleaned and then getting dirty. But the Bible says that Jesus does something else. That not only does he forgive us of our sins through his life, death, and resurrection, but he also gives us his righteousness. His honor becomes ours. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, in a, an old episode of NCIS... NCIS is a cop show really about the Navy. And in this one episode, there were two Marines who were sent to arrest uh, an older Marine who was kind of broken down and everything, and they were being kind of rough with him until his, his tie moved aside and they caught a glimpse of the Congressional Medal of Honor that was around his neck. And as soon as they saw it, they stepped back, snapped to attention, and saluted it changed their regard for him. When Jesus gives you his righteousness, Jesus gives you all the medals that he earned during his life. They hang around you so that when God looks at you, it's not just that he sees someone who is forgiven. He sees someone with immense honor. You know, there's a, a blessing in the Old Testament. It's a benediction. It's called Aaron's benediction. And I love this benediction. This way it goes. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I mean, I, I love that. I read uh, maybe a month ago that when Aaron says this, that when he says, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, that a better way for us to understand that 
is he's saying, may God's face light up when he looks at you. There's hardly anything better than walking into a room and seeing someone look and see you walk into a room and have their face just light up because you've come in. This way God's face, when he looks at you, lights up because of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. That's Wegelion. Good news for you. All right. The second point is, why is the gospel for everyone, and why do they need it? Paul says in this verse, he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Paul says it's for everyone, and then he adds, to the Jew and for the Greek. Why does he add that? Well, one reason is that's the way the Jews divided the world into Jews and non-Jews. But another reason is that Jesus came as the Messiah. And Jews thought that the Messiah had come to set them free from the oppression of Rome. But Jesus came explaining that he came to set them free from a deeper oppression, not just a physical oppression, but from the oppression of sin and death. And that's not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. Every person that you know has the same problem. And if every human being has the same problem, then it makes sense that every human being needs the same cure, the same solution. The Bible says that every person's problem is that they've been separated from God. And that in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve... He poured into them all that they needed. And then when they separated themselves from God, they began having to try to provide for themselves. And every human being has two deep, deep needs. You have these needs. I have these needs. Everyone you know has these needs. You have a need to be loved and a need for worth. Love and worth. And that's what God had filled you with, was designed to fill you with. But we are separated from God, so we are foraging all the time for something that will make us feel loved and also make us feel worth. And we grab onto all kinds of stuff. Whatever you feel gives you worth becomes your identity. I was watching TV just yesterday, and uh, a commercial came on for the new Top Gun movie, Maverick. And Tom Cruise, he says this, right in this this little clip. He says, uh, being a fighter pilot isn't just what I do, it's who I am. And I'm like, okay, right? Why does he say that? What he's saying is, this is where I get my worth. This is my identity. You know, if you're a football fan, all the world's waiting to see what Tom Brady will do, whether he will retire or not retire. And it probably depends on whether he says being a quarterback is not just what I do, it's who I am. Every human being is latching on to something for their identity. You, you want to know why sexuality is such a big thing? Somebody is saying, you don't just disagree with what I do because it's not just what I do, it's who I am. But we do it and all kinds of things. We say, I'm, a mother is not just what I do, 
It's who I am. A business person is not just what I do. It's who I am. And you know the problem with that, don't you? Because everything we get our worth from is slowly being drained away. Like Tom Cruise says, uh, fighter pilot is not just what I do, it's what I, who I am. You know what the problem with that is? By the next Top Gun movie, he's going to be 80, right? <laughs> who wants an 80-year-old flying a fighter pilot, right? Being a, it's a, he's he's going to turn into you know, Sylvester Stallone pretty soon, still doing Rocky movies, right? Why? Because we're longing for worth, and here Jesus comes, and he says, I can give you what you are hungering for. I'm the one who can reconnect you, reconcile you to the God who made you, who is the source of love, who tells you what you are worth. Don't you see? You know, the longer I live, the more convinced I am that what every human being needs deep down is grace. Because grace is the only thing that can make a human being both secure and humble at the same time. Grace can make me secure because it gives me love and worth that will never go away, that's not dependent on something else, but only dependent on God himself. It makes me humble because it's not dependent on me, but on God's gift to me through Jesus. Every person you know is longing for those, is trying to find a way to feel loved and a way to feel worth. They're looking for an identity that only Jesus can give. Okay, that brings me to my third point, which is how does anybody get the gospel and what part do we play? Well, what Paul says, when he, even when he uses that word gospel, the way that people get the gospel is through a messenger. Someone has to tell them. But the way Paul starts this verse is um, it's strange. Like, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Does that strike you as strange? Oh, like, if I'm out in the atrium after the service, and uh, you come up to me, and you have a friend that you just brought to church. And you say, hey, I want to introduce you to Pastor Joe. I just want you to know before I do that, that I'm not ashamed of him. Right? Your friend would go, mm, what's wrong with him? That you would even say that. Why does Paul say, I'm not ashamed of this good news? I feel like I'm never ashamed of good news. I'm a natural kind of, mm, like, purveyor. If I read a book on diet or exercise that I think is good, I tell everybody, right? And I tell it in a way that makes people want it, you know, because I'm excited about it. Why is it that Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? You know why. Because there's something about Jesus that's a little embarrassing, Right? It makes us feel weird. That's why the vast majority of people who are Christians never share their faith once in their entire lifetime. It's why you struggle to share your faith with someone. And there are, let me give you three reasons why I think that's true. One is there are spiritual forces at work. I think there is a, 
There is an enemy of Jesus that would not want you to share your faith and is trying to keep you from it. That's one. The second thing is that if you uh, tell the gospel, tell about Jesus to somebody who feels like they're a good person, it'll seem insulting to tell somebody who feels like they're a good person that they need a savior, which means they're not that good. And if you tell somebody who feels like they're a bad person, Sometimes it just seems too easy and they feel like they don't deserve it, which, of course, they don't. The third reason is that sometimes it just seems so far-fetched to tell somebody, listen, I just want you to know that Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago. And he lived the life that, he, that you should have lived. And he died the death you deserve to die. And he resurrected. And if you can believe that, it can change everything about you. It's the power of God for salvation. But that's what's happened to you. Right? It's your belief in that. You know, I always think, like, if I read a book on diet or exercise, like, I don't come up to you and go, hey, you look like you could use some, a book on exercise. <laughs> I say, listen, I just read this book. I'm doing this. It's, it's kind of awesome. It makes me feel amazing. And everybody I share with ends up writing the name of the book down. Now, I don't know if they order the book or not. But it's not hard for me to convince them when I talk about what it's done for me. So what's our part? Well, if you know Jesus, your part is to be a messenger. Here at our church, this is what we do is we have three huge goals here at CCC. They're in the hallways out there. We call it everyone, every community, everywhere. This is what we mean. When we say everyone, our goal is by the year 2050 that everyone within a 10-mile radius of this church has a Christ-following friend. You know what that means? That means your friends need to know that you are a follower of Jesus. Not just that you go to church, but that you follow Jesus. You are their Christ-following friend. If you don't know a great way of how to share your faith, we have a a class called Sharing Jesus. The next time it's offered, sign up. It's the best class I've ever taken about how to share my faith. The second thing is if you have a friend that's asking questions where you go, "I, I don't even know if I have the right answers for those questions, then you can bring them to a thing called Exploring Christianity. We're having a session this week. It's an informal time. It's actually at Zach and Amy Wyrock's house that you can bring your friend and they can ask all the questions they want about Christianity. I don't know of a person that's better at answering questions like that than Pastor Zach. That's everyone. Then our second goal is every community. We want that by the year 2050 for every Every community of 5,000 people or more in Northeast Ohio, we want them to have a gospel-preaching church right in their neighborhood so they can hear this good news. We feel like our part is to plant two churches a year, every year until 2050. And we ask you, if you are a member of this church, if you are a part of this church, we're going to be constantly asking you to do three things, pray, give, or go. When we say pray, this only happens if you are willing to pray for it. So when you think or hear where we're planting next, be praying for what God's going to do. 
We say give because it costs about $600,000 a year for us to plant two churches. And then finally, be willing to go. If it's a neighborhood near you or in your neighborhood, we want to encourage you to go to that church plant. And then finally, we say everywhere. And everywhere, we feel like a, a church like ours has a responsibility, a church our size with our resources, for not just this area, but for the world. So by the year 2050, we want to give $30 million to global missions so that people everywhere can hear about Jesus. Every person you know, every person is longing for good news. Whether they realize it or not, their search their whole life has been for what Jesus has done for them. And you know that. Paul put it in a nutshell when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's good news for everyone you know. Good news for every community in Northeast Ohio. It's good news everywhere people have not yet heard about Jesus. Wagalion, right? Good news has come for you and for me. Let's be the ones that share it with the people who most need it. If you are a Christian today, it's because someone pushed through the embarrassment so they could tell you about Jesus. Let's be that kind of church. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for uh, your love for us. That when we ran away from you, you did not give up on us, but instead you set to work to win us back. And you did so by sending Jesus. Thank you that Christianity is based on news and not advice. I pray that everyone here will let the gospel go deep down inside of us, and then we will be able to share it with people in a way that makes sense to them. I pray that this church would be uh, like a lighthouse so that people all over, not just in our neighborhood, but also in every neighborhood in Northeast Ohio, then in places all over the world, will know, will find out what you have done for them through Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.